In pursuit of God, discovering purpose, maximizing potential. 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 Jesus House for All Nations. This message has been recorded live at Jesus House for All Nations. God bless you. Hallelujah. Amen. Part six. And next week will be the final part of our series, Oh God, Who Am I? Today we want to talk about what I call the recovery plan. But maybe a bit of background um, as we go to talk about the recovery plan. We started by talking about this heist, this theft of our identity. We took the scriptures from Genesis, the third chapter, verses 1 to 11. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die. The serpent replied to the woman, God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her, so she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness so they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves when the cool of the evening breeze were blowing the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the in the garden so they hid from the Lord God among the trees then the Lord God called to the man where are you he replied I heard you walking in the garden so I hid I was afraid because I was naked who told you that you were naked the Lord God asked have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat we started by talking about this great theft that this whole thing was really Satan trying to steal man's identity trying to confuse man as to who he was and we said at the start that if Satan succeeds in stealing a person's identity the person has an identity crisis the person doesn't know who he is and so the person starts to act out from who he thinks he is and what Satan has done is separate by this theft a person from the image of God so people start acting out other images or whatever confusion or perception he has put in their mind as to who they are. And the plan really was quite simple. It was to attack the word of God. Attack what God had said to the person to do. And so God had given very clear instructions. It was his word. And in, in his instructions, he had given his creation, mankind, he had, Adam and Eve, he had given them freedom in the garden. Do everything that you want in this place. You can touch everything, eat anything you want. But this one tree, you must not eat from it. Frankly, he didn't even say you must not touch it. That was Eve's addition. What he said is that you must not eat from that, the fruit of that tree. And it's symptomatic of life today. That's how life is. Satan is still trying to attack the word of God, attack the word of God, trying to sow confusion, trying to sow seeds of doubt, trying to sow, sow unbelief in our minds, trying really to, to paint a picture of a God who doesn't want the best for us. That's what he was trying to say to Eve, that surely this is good for you, God doesn't want you to experience something that's good for you. And ultimately, God does not want you to be like him. And he's still doing the same today. It's the same strategy. 
We take a position, we stand on the word of God. Satan comes to sow, to sow doubt, unbelief, confusion. To convince us that what God says we shouldn't do in his word is, is somehow beneficial to us. And it really was a powerful temptation. You will be like God. And it's the temptation that led to his own fall. I want to be like God. And so he goes around trying to tempt us to want to be like God. The whole of the New Age philosophy is based on this one temptation. The desire to be your own God and not submitted to the God of creation. And as soon as she succumbs to this temptation, as soon as she takes the fruit, eats the fruit, gives it to her husband, he eats the fruit, we suddenly see that things change from a purity of heart, from a place where they were, where they were working hand in hand with God, we suddenly find that negative things are introduced into their minds. The image starts to become blurred. They get confused as to who they are. They were not created by God to have shame or any of these negative things. But the moment they allowed Satan in, he literally stole their identity, who they were, and started to introduce into their minds who they were not. And one of the first neg negative emotions they had to deal with was shame. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. They suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. And it gets worse as we go on. But then what was their response? Their response was a classic human response. Let's try and solve this problem. We are suddenly naked, we realize that. But let's do something about it ourselves. And so they get fig leaves, sew the fig leaves together, and try and cover themselves. Of course their attempt was futile. In much the same way that if we are going to try and solve an identity problem without Christ, is an exercise in futility. The only way we can solve the problem of who we are, the only way we can come to a place where we fully understand who we are, and not just who we are, why we are here, must be in Christ. And humanity goes around trying to solve these problems without Christ, and they, it always ends in futility and frustration. So they take the fig leaves and try and make a covering for themselves. The covering must have been prickly and uncomfortable because they were figs. And that's what happens when we try to deal with some of these situations ourselves. The result of the identity crisis, we try to deal with a low self-esteem ourselves. We try to deal with anger ourselves. We try to deal with guilt ourselves. We try to deal with hopelessness ourselves. At best, we can put over these things a makeshift covering. But the truth is that we feel it's still prickly and it's still uncomfortable. And the covering never truly covers us. Because no matter how, how well you sew fig leaves together, there will still be gaping holes in the covering. And so it leads us to understand that we can't deal with the problem without Jesus Christ. It is impossible when we do it ourselves. Shortly after, more negative emotions were introduced. Anxiety comes in. I presume the anxiety would have come because they knew they had done wrong. They had to wait for God to come as he would in the cool of the evening. And they must have been anxious as they waited. And then fear, of course, came in. When God, said, when God came, he said, I was afraid and I was hiding. But then I wanted to go to God's cry. We hear God, when he comes down, cry out, where are you? I want to say to you that that was not a cry of judgment. That was the cry from the heart of a father who knew that his son, his daughter, had gone astray. 
It was really a cry of grace. It was a cry that sent out a message that God was not going to leave them on their own. It certainly wasn't ge geographical because God knew where they were. It was a cry that was meant to arrest them and meant to get them to a point where they took a look at themselves. Where are you? And believe me, I hear this cry today. Even now I hear this cry where God is saying to someone, where are you? It's a cry that should stop us and make us take stock, take a look at ourselves. And this morning God is saying to someone, where are you? Take a look at your life. Is it going along the trajectory that it should go on? Are you doing things that you shouldn't be doing? Are you thinking things that you shouldn't be thinking? And you see, no one, no one can answer that cry for anybody. We must answer it for ourselves. But this morning, God is saying to someone, where are you? Amen? And as a result of the actions of the man and the woman, of course, there, was, there were consequences. The consequences were the judgments that were pronounced as a result of their actions. A judgment on the serpent, for he was the one who instigated the action. And God says, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That's the first gospel message that was preached. Genesis 3 verse 15. The first time the gospel message was preached. Now it's interesting. I was doing some studies, and it is possible, it's quite actually postulated by a lot of uh, biblical writers, that the serpent is not this creature that we know. Yeah? Because if God curse, curses the serpent and says, you will crawl on your belly, it's not a curse if the serpent was already crawling on his belly. Am I making some sense? Yeah. So it's more likely that the serpent was a more glorious-looking animal. It had to have been to have enticed Adam and Eve. But the result of the judgment and the curse was that the serpent becomes this slithering beast that we are afraid of and is afraid of us. And then God pronounces that there will be enmity between the serpent and the woman and between her seed and his seed. Of course, you and I know that he was speaking prophetically about the Messiah. He was also speaking about the virgin birth because it's her seed and the serpent. There's no reference to a man because in the virgin birth, the man had no part in it. It was purely conceived by the Spirit of God and what was given birth to is our Lord and Savior. Who was given birth to is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says you shall bruise your head, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. That means that it will not be without pain. When your heel is bruised, there is pain. And there was pain for our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But the fatality is when your head is bruised. And so we know that in the end we win because the head of the serpent is crushed by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To the woman, he said, I will multi greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. This curse that was pronounced by God when we find Christ, there is redemption to a, to a large extent from this curse. The Hebrew women, in a sign of that redemption, give birth in a particular way. So it is your portion to believe that this pain in conception 
the sorrow that follows conception and not just conception part of the curse was a sorrow that follows what was conceived is not your portion does somebody say amen to that your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you and outside Christ that can be someone's portion where the person is ruled over but in Christ it is your portion to believe that my husband will serve me like Christ served his church in servant leadership headship yes but serving yes does someone understand what I'm saying and then to Adam that the man he said because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you saying you shall not eat cursed is the ground for your sake in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life but both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the herb of the field in the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. What is, the, what is the totality of that curse? Life will be hard for you. You will toil. You will sweat. Now, you and I know that toiling is not our portion. And you know, in a graphic demonstration that for the Christian, this curse is broken, the very thorns that were supposed to, to make life difficult for you, Jesus put his head so that they pressed the thorns into his head and he shed his blood and by that you and i know that that curse is broken over our lives because the very thorns that were supposed to be part of the curse were used to create a crown for our lord and savior jesus christ as he became what this picture paints for us that we might have our liberty to work hard and reap the fruits of our labor can someone say amen? amen and then god starts his recovery plan the bible says then the man adam named his wife and adam called his wife's name eve because she was mother of all living also for adam and his wife the lord god made tunics of skin and clothed them and this is really where I wanted to go today in all that was happening god began to point towards redemption began to point towards recovery the man makes a futile frustrating effort to deal with the situation they create a covering for the problem their attempt is so futile because the covering that they create doesn't even cover the problem talk less about dealing with the problem and after god has pronounced the the curse on the man the woman and the serpent the nature of god kicks in grace kicks in mercy kicks in and god takes an animal and we can only assume that he had to have killed the animal to get the skin of the animal and he covers them with the skin of the animal the principle was this for something to be remedied there has to be the shedding of blood man's attempt to cover himself had a blood involved and the bible is very clear that it can't be purified it can't be cleansed it cannot be corrected without blood hebrews 9 verse 22 in fact under the law almost everything is purified by means of blood and without the shedding of blood there is neither release from sin and its guilt nor the remission of the due and merited punishment for sins it simply cannot work without the blood 
So we can run from psychiatrist to psychiatrist, psychoanalyst to psychoanalyst, doctor to doctor, counselor to counselor. At best, they can create a covering of fig leaves. But there is nothing on earth that can release a person from guilt, that can wipe away certain memories, that can free a mind from things that are deep-rooted, that can erase a past that haunts a person. And certainly there is nothing on earth that can wipe away sin except it is blood. I don't know why it is so. But those are the requirements of heaven. That blood has to be shed. There is a necessity for blood to be shed. And in covering them with the skin of the animal, I am certain with the blood dripping off the skin that had just been taken off an animal that had been sacrificed. The Bible starts to point to this spiritual truth. That for this thing to go away, to be removed, to be for these people to be purified, to be cleansed, to be made whole again, blood has to be shed. The challenge, of course, was that the blood of animals simply could not deal with the magnitude of the sin of a man. It covered inadequately, but it could not remove. For in the created order, an animal was much lower in the order than a man. So how could the blood of an animal satisfy the requirements for the actions of a man? The Bible puts it like this. In Hebrews 9 verse 23, By such means, therefore, it was necessary for the earthly copies of the heavenly things to be purified. But the actual heavenly things themselves required far better and nobler sacrifices than these. For the man, certainly in spirit and in his soul, was heavenly, heavenly bound. And there was no way that these things here on earth could satisfy the requirement for a man who was made in the image of God. But everybody say with me, thank God. God had a plan. Man could not be redeemed by the blood of animals. So God put a plan in place. It's a plan that he actually put in place in eternity past. Acts 2 verse 23. This Jesus, when delivered up according to the definite and fixed purpose and settled plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and put out of the way, killing him by the hands of lawless and wicked men. This Jesus was delivered according to a definite and purpose and fixed definite and fixed purpose and plan by the foreknowledge of God what we're about to talk about didn't start happening at Genesis 1 or Genesis 3 it happened from before the foundations of the earth can someone say amen, amen. that's why the Bible says in Revelation 13 verse 8 in referring to Jesus the lamb that was slain from before the foundations of the earth and you know, I heard Miles Monroe put it in the most graphic way, where he described how a meeting was taking place in heaven. And they were planning and talking about what was to come, the creation of the earth. And because God has perfect knowledge, he sees the end from the beginning, he knew that man would sin. And he knew that the consequences of man's sin would be the, the judgment and death eventually, separation from him and a physical death. And while they are there talking about this plan, they realize that for a while man will attempt to 
pay the price for his sin with the blood of animals. But then they concluded, as we all know, that the blood of animals won't do it. And so they look around themselves. And I guess God says something like, well, we, somebody who is without sin has to pay this price. I guess at that point, Jesus would have put up his hand in that meeting and says, you know what, I'll pay it, I'll go. The Holy Spirit, who is the scribe, must have written, like Miles says, he's gone. And then downloaded it to John on the island of Patmos, and we get Revelations 13, verse 8. Jesus was slain from before the foundations of the earth. So very alive, but already dead. Because he had already given himself for you and I. Can someone say amen? amen? But then, of course, the timing was in God's hands. And that's why we have the centuries of animal sacrifices that we read about in the Old Testament. And that's why, for those of us who are Gentiles, that's why we, we went, were completely astray. Our, our ancestors were astray, went astray, worshipping all kinds of stones and all kinds of trees and all kinds of rivers and all kinds of stuff. But then, in God's timing, the time came for our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to be born. The time came for him to die, to shed his blood, so that you and I could have the benefits of the shed blood of Christ. Nothing can qualify a person except the blood of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10 verse 10, And in accordance with this will of God, we have been made holy, consecrated and sanctified through the offering made once for all of the body of Jesus Christ, the anointed one. There is no solution without the blood. That's why the enemy will do all that he can not to allow you and I to understand the potent power, the efficacy of the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? I want to show you ten benefits of the blood of Jesus as it applies to your life. Number one, you are forgiven by the blood of Jesus. Ephesians 1 verse 7. In him we have redemption, deliverance and salvation through his blood. The remission, forgiveness of our offenses, shortcoming and, shortcomings and trespasses. In accordance with the riches and the generosity of his gracious favor. There is nothing you do that God cannot forgive. It is a lie of Satan to keep bringing back pictures and images and memories. Reminding you of things that you did and making you feel that you are less in God's sight because of those things. That's a lie of Satan and you must counter it with the word of God. God's favor is so, his gracious favor, the generosity of it is such that he allowed his son to come and die and shed his blood so that you are forgiven because of the blood of Jesus. Can someone say amen? You know, he brings pictures of the abortion that you did and makes you feel less. It's a lie of Satan. He remembers what you did. God does not remember because the blood of Jesus has a way of giving God who has all knowledge amnesia concerning that thing because it is under the blood. Once it is under the blood, then you can declare to yourself, I am for, I've been forgiven because of the blood of Jesus. Amen? In him we have redemption, deliverance, and salvation through his blood. The forgiveness of our offenses, our shortcomings, and trespasses. You are forgiven because of the blood of Jesus. It doesn't matter how dastardly, how evil, how terrible it was. The blood of Jesus is more than enough. To ensure that you are forgiven by God. Can someone say amen to that? Amen. Number two. You are justified, acquitted, made righteous, and brought into a right relationship with God. This is mind-blowing. That you and I are made right with God by the blood of Jesus. We don't earn it. And this is the difference between Christianity and a lot of other faiths. Where you must earn that, that, you must earn your place before God. And how many can earn their place before God? The whole essence of the gospel is, is, is embedded in this one thing. That it is by grace that we stand before God. We receive it by faith. 
and then we are right before God. Romans 5 verse 9. Therefore, since we are now justified, acquitted, made righteous, and brought into right relationship with God by Christ's blood, it's not by any other thing, but by Christ's blood, how much more certain is it that we shall be saved by him from indignation and wrath? We are made right, brought, brought before God, made perfect before God by the blood of Jesus. That's, why, that's what gives power to our prayer. Because I'm not praying from a weak position. No, the blood has made me right. That's why I can come boldly before that throne of grace. Can someone say amen to that? Number three. I am saved from the indignation and wrath of God. We are saved from the indignation and wrath of God. Romans 5 verse 9, the latter part. Because of Christ's blood, we are certain that we are saved by him from the indignation and wrath of God. The blood is my covering. Because of the blood of Jesus, I know I am saved. I am delivered from the indignation and wrath of God. It is almost as if God's wrath wants to pour out, but he sees the blood and, it, and he has to hold back his wrath, his wrath and his indignation because of the blood. It's the privilege of a Christian. Number four. The blood didn't just cleanse me. I am cleansed daily. Provision has been made for, for the mistakes that I make. That's why we say to people, even if you fall, be quick to repent and to come back under the covering of the blood because provision has been made for it. You are cleansed daily by the blood. Amen? 1 John 1 verse 7. Let's read that, 1 John 1, or just note that, 1 John 1 verse 7. Number five. We are empowered to overcome Satan by the blood. That's why when you have understanding, one of the most powerful phrases you can say is Satan, the blood of Jesus against you. Because we are empowered to overcome Satan by the blood. Revelations 12 verse 11 and they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony and they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. They've overcome him by the blood and by their testimony and not loving their lives unto their death. Amen. That's how I know that we're victorious because Satan can't stand against the blood. The blood of animals as weak as it was was dubbed on the lintels of the homes of the children of Israel. The angel of destruction had no choice but to pass over. The blood of Jesus Christ is on you. I declare that the angel of destruction has no choice but to pass over. Number six. We are united with Christ by his blood. Ephesians 2 verse 13 but now you have been united with Christ. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. That's what opens up the doors for us. That's what creates access for us. That's what binds us to him. His blood was not shed in vain. I'm not a stranger to him, neither are you. And the reason is the blood of Jesus Provide is that thing that, that knits us to him. We are united with Christ by his blood. And so when the enemy comes against you, he's not coming against you. He's coming against the Christ in you. And, and I'm sure you know there's no contest. No contest because of the Christ that is in you. Amen? Number seven. We are bold to enter the very presence of God because of the, blo of the blood. Hebrews 10, verse 19 and 20. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. I mean, the privilege of the grace that we walk in is, 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 is unbelievable. For prior to the shedding of his blood, only one person could go in to that most holy place. 
Some of what we experience in worship without the shedding of the blood of Christ is impossible to experience it. To come so close to God, only the blood of Jesus allows us such access. And when we understand it, we come boldly because the blood has brought us away into the very presence of God. Can someone say amen? amen. Number eight. We are cleansed and our conscience is renewed by the blood. Hebrews 10 verse 22. Let us go right into the very presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting Him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. The enemy can't make me feel guilty because I understand that my guilty conscience was sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why I can come very boldly into His presence. I'm, I'm cleansed. My conscience is cleansed. I'm, is renewed by the blood of Jesus Christ. Number nine. We are reconciled with God and receive His peace into my life. What is the guarantee for me that I have the peace of God? Because the blood of Jesus was shed. And through Him, Colossians 1 verse 20, and through Him, God reconciled everything to Himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and, and, and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Uh, it is not your portion to live in agitation, to live in confusion. It is not your portion to live in anxiety. The blood of Jesus has bought peace for you, and you just have to receive it. And lastly, number 10, I am healed. We are healed because of the blood of Jesus. Isaiah 53, verse 5. He was wounded for our transgression, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes that bled, we are healed. 1 Peter 2, verse 24. Who himself bore, bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. Amen? That's what the blood does for you. Rise to your feet as we make these confessions. Father, we thank you. Lord, we bless you. Well, let's make these confessions from those things. Go on, can we have it up on the screen? Hallelujah. Father, we thank you. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus, oh precious is the blood that makes me white as
I hear the Lord saying, I should in my spirit. You're here and you've struggled with the memory of the past. With something you did, you were involved in. Something in your past. And it just won't go away. The enemy keeps bringing it back. It might even have been something that was done against you. It's blighted your life. You know that it has hindered you from flowing fully. I want to pray with you with some of our leaders. If you're that person, come forward. Come forward very quickly. You know who you are. I don't need, I don't need to call you. I don't need to say it again. You know, just come. come. You know, it just won't go away. The pictures, the images. You just remember it all the time might have been something that was done to you. It might not have been something you did, but it might be something you did. Just come, come from wherever you are. Come, 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 come. The devil is a liar. The blood of Jesus was shed for you. The devil is a liar. Come from wherever you are. Come. Please, I'll need all the pastors. Pastors to come and no condemnation, Lord. Oh, Jesus, come. it will never lose its power. It washes away.
Lift your voices and begin and make them. We're going to make those ten declarations. And when we get to the last one, the declaration about I am healed, I want you to say that three times for those of you who are believing God for healing. And as you say that declaration, please lay your hands on whatever part of your body you're believing the Spirit of God to flow and, and heal. And I assure you there are going to be testimonies in this place. That's, that's the way God laid it on our hearts. So one, two, let's make this declaration. One, two. No, no, no. It's a declaration. You know, it's a decree. It's, it's, it's you're, you're declaring something that has already been established. So say it with all that authority. One, two, go. and wherever you are believing God for healing. Father, we just thank you. Lord, you've already shown us a picture of what will happen and we give you all the praise and glory. As we declare this is, this is what the blood bought for us. Go on. Go on, declare. In the name of Jesus. Go on, give God a, give God a clap of praise. You may be seated in God's wonderful presence. Just bow your head for a second. Bow your heads for a second. If there's one thing the blood of Jesus bought for us, it's our salvation. An awesome price that was paid to redeem you and I. To bring us back into a relationship with Christ. With all heads bowed, just everybody think about your life. If you're not certain about that relationship with Christ, it doesn't matter, you might have been coming to Jesus' house for a long time. You might, have, you might, you might fill a form and, and where it says Christian, tick a box. 
but you're not 100% certain, the blood has made a way for you to come back to him. If you would slip your hands up wherever you are, I'd just love to pray with you and, and, and just settle that once and for all in your mind that you have been bought by the blood and you accept that you're a child of God, that, that you're his. Slip your hand up wherever you are. God bless you. God bless you. Keep, keep that hand up. Slip that hand up. Anybody else? Slip that hand up. Anybody else? You, you just want to settle this once and for all. Settle this with your father. Father, we just thank you and we bless you. If you're watching online, you want to settle this, you want to come back home. The blood has created a pathway for you to come back home into the embrace of your father. Don't miss this opportunity. He's certainly knocking on the doors of, of our hearts. Father, we thank you and we bless you. We give you all the praise and all the glory. The lady who slipped her hand up, just keep it up for a second. I need a member of our ministry team to just go alongside that lady. There are two. Oh yes, please. The two ladies. I need members of our ministry team. There really, yes. I need another member of our ministry. There are three. Go on, slip your hands up, please. Go on. Go on. Members of our ministry team, please. I need I need you. Will the ushers direct them? Thank you. God bless you. Do we need anybody else? Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. We give you all the praise. One, one, slip your hand up. Members of the ministry team, please just the hand at the back, hand in the middle. Yeah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. We give you praise. Hallelujah. Give God a clap offering. Hallelujah. Amen.